Welcome to Demogranomics, your insight to the powerful surprises ahead for the US economy. Demogranomics, where people make markets. And now, here is Mike Williams. Hello there and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us, Mike here. And uh, as we said in our last one, the first half's over, but there's more haze ahead. And that's what we're going to call this one, more haze ahead. So look, I've noticed that volumes in the markets tend to slacken in stages as the summer haze kind of rolls onward and gets thicker before the summer is out. Remember, it starts about Memorial Day. It gets a little lazier. July 4th weekend, which uh, we're on now, tends to get a little lazier. Then it gets really like the doldrums when you're sailing. You know, in the middle of the ocean, we used to hit the doldrums, and that means there's no wind anywhere. <laughs> the water is perfect glass, and if you're in sailboat races, that's tough. But the doldrums we call August. That's where the haze peaks, and then we roll out of Labor Day, and before you know it, by about the middle of September, everybody's back to work and waiting for the Thanksgiving Day break. After what has to be one of the quicker rebounds from the edge of the abyss on record, Last week ended with a bit of a whimper as most were off on Friday preparing for the long weekend of the 4th. The issue for the coming week will be some early stage second quarter earnings releases, but more important is probably the jobs number on Friday. Anticipation is going to be thick. The bears will be chomping at the bit. Last month's slow number will be repeatedly reviewed along with the doom which will surely unfold if we get this, get a second poor number in a row. I actually think we might, by the way. Look, there's every reason in the world to get a slow number. First of all, we've had years of good numbers. Eventually, you run out of good workers. That's just the way it is when you get into a jam. I think we'll get a light number, uh, but I think more important, it'll be misunderstood. With everyone so nervous about Brexit and all the garbage associated with that, and I do mean garbage because while it's going to take a while, it'll end up being a waste of your time paying too much attention to it. But while everyone is still nervous, you can bet that a light jobs number will probably promote weakness. And the, the, oh, no, that's two in a row. And gosh, if we add Brexit and we add this and we add that, and we, oh, it really is the end of the world. I mean, that's the kind of chanting you'll probably hear. But here's the thing. We have a struggle here in the jobs business. Uh, on the one hand, you've got record job openings. I, I think people miss that. Record job openings. In other words... There are more openings today for companies looking to fill positions for growth than there ever have been. <laughs> That's what a record means. Now, I find that fascinating given how much doom and the dark cloud that hangs over the employment numbers. Here we are at under 5%. We've got record personal income. We've got record amounts of openings. And yet, indeed, we may get a weak number. And why do we get a weak number in all those other circumstances? It's not because the economy's bad. It's because the pool of workers to hire from has become, shall we say, goals challenged or capacity challenged. 
We had this in the early 80s, the last time we had a major, major breakthrough and shift in our U.S. demographic structure. That's back when the boomers flooded the market. I think what we've got here is a situation where we've caught up with the number of people who can perform these high-tech jobs, and we're waiting for more, uh, strangely enough. And what that drives is the same thing it drove in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, and that's a re-education process. I would not be surprised at all to see massive numbers of new people coming in and going back to school, getting a high-tech-related degree, an engineering degree, something that can meet the standards of today, and then we'll see a rebalancing of uh, growth in jobs. But I don't think it's a... um, It's a bad thing. I think it'll just be misunderstood. But getting another solid sell-off over misunderstood jobs data could be a good thing. Your portfolio snapshots continue to show that. Again, while the bounce is nice, let's be patient, as I suspect we have more summer chop ahead. Let's expect the waves and not be surprised by them. After all, if that was an earthquake, if Brexit was an earthquake, what happens after earthquakes? Aftershocks. Probably get several of them. Remember, you got the summer haze, you got people not paying attention, you got lots of media. Remember what I said before the Memorial Day break? When people go away, the media noise turns up. Why? Their game is getting your attention. That's the only way they make money. They got to get your attention. And they're not going to get your attention by saying, enjoy your summer. They're going to get your attention by scaring the crap out of you, which is the business today. Now, some of the tougher things we do over time as it relates to portfolios is stay the course. Imagine that. Something as boring as doing nothing. The collective mind of the crowd has been so well trained to use product after product after product as Wall Street floods them into the market, often dreamed up just after they were actually needed or useful. Proving the point, have you ever seen so many ways to hedge away risk in your life? And yet with all these tools that have been created in the last years, the public is getting its worst investment performance as noise and quote-unquote information increases the records show repeatedly that the results for the average investor decrease why jumping from place to place the idea that you own a series of companies for many years through good and bad thick and thin up and down missed quarter or not missed quarter allowing them to build their businesses, expand and grow into their upcoming bell curve of demand, given our demographics. That idea is rarely even discussed anymore, even rarer done. However, like our snapshots show you every week, the reward for doing so is significant. At the risk of being boring or, quote, too simple, cushion you see between markets and the economic, the barbell economy portfolios has been growing since 2011 when they were just beginning to sniff out the Gen Y and baby boom shift, that barbell economy structure we talk about so much. Another misunderstood element, look, 
The bear story has met its latest failure. Brexit was the deal. That was it. This comes after the failed QE rants, the failed Greece rants, the failed pigs rants, the failed China rolling into the sea from failure or taking over the world. Whichever day you might have been preparing yourself, those failed too. Remember, just a couple of months ago, it was cheap oil that was going to cause the collapse, but that failed too. You know, I don't often touch on technical issues. Those are chart items and patterns, but a, a pretty rare circumstance could, I say could, be unfolding in the markets today, even as we fret over every single thing under the sun. I reviewed a note uh, over the weekend from Citi, brought to my attention by Josh Brown. Thanks, Josh. Had some interesting technical notes. I'm going to describe what they said, and then I'm going to tell you what a chart would look like. Unfortunately, you can't see the chart, so I'm going to try my best to describe it. On a yearly S&P chart, they note that we're likely going through a consolidation that leads, and I'm quoting here, that leads to higher prices once resolved. Now, no, we've been saying that for several quarters. Here's the kicker, though. They wisely note that 2016, quote, has the potential to be a bullish outside year for the S&P 500 on the candlestick charts. What that means is the high and low for this year's candle are both outside of the 2015 range with a close above last year's high. Now, that's not very far away. It's not done yet. You have to be there and you have to close. You have to finish the year. But here's the thing. If this were to actually unfold by year end for the candlestick bar of the year 2016 on an annual chart, it would be only the third time in history that the S&P posts a positive outside year. Even more compelling are the underlying parallels of the explosive demographic structure coming into play yet again. Why? The last time this pattern unfolded was at the start of the last dramatic bull market driven by demographics in 1982. This eclipsed 16 years of brutal consolidation, including the lost decade of the 70s. But when it was finally shaken off and the, the 1966 top was exceeded in 1982, it was left behind. In other words, we never saw it again. Okay, That happened before as well, back in the 1930s. Remember the 1930s, right? My point here? The most compelling is the 1982 parallel. We have often found and often noted here in these podcasts that time window. Why? Well, it was the demographic structure of our country that is mirroring what we see today. Recall the haze and frustrations of the late 60s and into the 70s. It pretty much mimics the same level of frustration many have felt over the last 15 years. It runs across both economic and geopolitical platforms. What was the very last thing the masses expected of the U.S. economy in both circumstances? New and often explosive growth. The stage is set again. 
We've spent so long being fearful of things, it is my humble opinion that many will be unable to wrap their minds around the idea that we have some incredible opportunity coming at us. It won't be smooth. It won't be all the time. It'll have its interruptions, but think long term. In fact, the mere writing of this or speaking on a podcast is perceived as fantasy, I'm sure. Yet the numbers continue to prove to investors that the barbell economy is real, and it's doing much better than the hysteria-minded emotional crowd would imply. The dirty little secret we only talk about in rooms with few people is this. Since the beginning of building any wealth or success, there will always be big risks. So I know big risks exist. The ideas we share with you in these podcasts are not designed to ignore them, but to understand they've always been there. It's always been there, and it always will be there. And if it's not the current risks, it'll be new risks. Don't you notice we never reach a time when there's no risk? We never reach a time when everybody goes, oh, boy, I can take a breather. Wow, there is absolutely nothing in the world to worry about. Wrong. We cannot escape that but we can consider adjusting our radar. Here's a thought. Think about this with me. We can all agree that black swans are rare events, yes? Black swan events can reshape the world for certain. But listen, so can a nuclear weapon detonating in downtown Chicago or the atmosphere collapsing in on itself and extinguishing all of us, even all the gold buyers. But does that mean we can plan for it? I mean, can we actually physically plan for every single possible problem? No. But if you try to, you miss all the good stuff too. My point in a not-so-comical way is this. There is a significant difference between respecting outlier events versus the amped-up emotional cycle of seeing them around every corner. In other words, if there's a black swan everywhere, don't we think we're overdoing it just a little? Sure, we need to respect the power of deep recessions, but must we always have a cadre of experts telling us repeatedly that every blip along the way is an already lit fuse to the second coming of the Great Depression? Really? Further, planning for it over and over and over again is very unproductive as we should have all learned over the last several years. Look, lots of very, very bad things have happened since I became a part of this industry helping clients back in the early 80s. Nightmarish events one could have never either imagined or predicted. But something still stays the same. Humans are humans. Young people still become adults. And while we were terrified of everything, the markets went from 900 when I started to 18,000 now. So let's stop the emotional tailspins. They're tricks. Nassim, the writer of the Black Swan book, told us that the danger of black swans is that people underestimate their impact. I suggest we also consider this possibility. Constantly overestimating the risk for them like a roller coaster to hell, can be just as dangerous. Accurately predicting a financial crisis 
is not such a big accomplishment if the expert spent their entire career before it falsely predicting the same doom. Many may not even have realized this, but if you go back to the Great Depression, sure, it was horrible. Stocks only fell back, though, to where they were in 1924, five years before the peak. Further, it was in the great depths of the Great Depression where the seeds of some of the greatest pools of wealth ever built were planted. The riskiest of periods that we can ever remember, right? Hence, were some of the 24-hour financial channels playing back then an expert consistently predicting that doom for years too early would have been just better off living through it, having made the money since 1924, rather than trying so hard to warn about it or avoid it. As anyone studying the history of people, psychology, emotions, and market results results will tell you, far more money has been lost preparing for terrible things or bear markets than in the actual bear markets themselves. So here's a takeaway. The takeaway is something that sounds blindingly obvious, but just as surely easy to be overlooked in the manic depressive nature in which we now consume economic and political events. Yes, rare is rare. A black swan is a rare thing. It is an outlier. It's unpredictable. As such, maybe the healthier and more productive way to view risk is this idea. We may want to focus on planning for or expecting more common events to have a higher probability of occurring. What do I mean by that? Well, I suppose that the next bear market could be as bad as 2008's punishing ride, which ended in March of 2009. It could be that cataclysmic. But there are alternatives to that black swan type fear. We could get a normal bear market. Maybe it goes down 20 or 30 percent. Or if it were as bad as 2008 and 2009 again, maybe it happens five years from now from a Dow that's 15,000 points higher. Sounds nutty, right? The point is those are alternatives to the end of the world type thinking. Carrying that a little further, hey, the next recession could, I suppose, indeed be worse than 2008. But it is far more likely to be something that reduces GDP by maybe a couple percentage points. And maybe it raises the unemployment rate to, say, 6%, 6.5%, or 7%, not 10 and 15. In fact, both of these dire-sounding events could be over before most people even realize they began, if for no other reason than we have collectively assured ourselves it will all be so much worse. The point? Look, guys. We live in a world today that seems to be totally focused on the extreme edges of events, the extremes of possible outcomes, as though we can actually regularly predict them. We can't, but we can regularly be terrified of them. Taking my word for it is unnecessary. Instead, turn your podcast off and just take a sampling of headlines. Go to three or four financial websites. You know them all, Fox, CNBC, Bloomberg. Go to all of them, MarketWatch. Take a glimpse at a smattering of headlines in any given week. 
Here's a few recent ones. A recession worse than 2008 is coming. Here's another. The end is coming. Here's one. Brexit drives 100% chance of crisis worse than 2008. Really? The table is now set for the next financial crisis. Here's one. The next crisis after Brexit will be worse than 2008. Well, that'll get your attention, right? Here's one. I love this one. Sell everything. Global Bank warns investors of coming financial crisis. Seriously, guys, this is all the time. And when it's over with Brexit, it'll be the next thing. Because you can go back three months, find those very same headlines, except replace the word Brexit with cheap crude oil. The trick bag in our mind we have to overcome is pretty scary. I've stated it often before. Here it is. The 2008 to 2009 event was our generation's Great Depression. And it will last mentally, emotionally, and psychologically for decades longer than the financial event itself. And we've watched years of it already. The reason? Simple. One reason. Because it was so rare and so painful for so many. The real risk being overlooked? By paying so much attention to every little ripple under this cloak of constant fear or finding monsters around every corner and lurking in every shadow, the masses are driven to now overweight the real odds of it happening again anytime soon. I am certain this is why today we still see levels of investing fears equal to 2009 lows, even as the Dow has risen 10,000 points since then. Look, the stage is set. Our country is going through another shift. It's under the surface. It's the current. It's driven by people. It is masked by the noise of the press and fear after fear. In almost every area of measurement, the negative is being assumed and chosen with the positives, often just brushed aside. We have lived through this platform of belief before I was there. It was the late 70s and early 80s. Everything was dark. Only this time, this demographic shift, this major event, there is more fuel in the engine to drive growth forward. Said another way, it's a bigger watermelon going through the same python. Cheer up, guys. Stay focused. Be patient. Have a great fourth, and until we see you again, may your journey be grand and your legacy significant.